The scripture reading this morning is Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give me your strength to your servant, and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. As I was preparing this sermon on Psalm 86, I kept thinking back to some of the popular sayings about good people that our society believes. You know, Billy Joel, he said, they say there's a heaven for those who await. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know that only the good die young. And this is an old belief, a belief that the good will die young. The ancient Greek poet Menander said, he whom the gods love dies first. William Wordsworth, the English poet, said, the good die first. And then we say today, no good deed goes unpunished. And we see that exact same sentiment in today's psalm. The psalms were Israel's hymn book. They would open it up and sing it in communal worship. And this particular one, Psalm 86, was written by King David. And he himself experienced a lot of trials and tribulations in his own life. From the moment he was anointed king, king, wicked people were always coming against him. People both inside God's chosen people of Israel and outside. They sought his life. And so he, through his prayers, we see how he wrestles with the reality of evil in an evil world. So as we look at this psalm, we're going to have a guiding question that's going to help us think about it. 
we're going to ask, how does David pray in the face of evil? How does David pray in the face of evil? And we're going to see that he prays in two ways. First, he remembers his master's character, and then he remembers his master's plan. Because when David is faced with evil, he prays in faith, we see that God displays his faithfulness. So keep your Bibles open. I'm one of those guys who keeps coming back to the text, and it's easier to follow along if you have your Bible open or the Bible app open. So let's ask the question, how does David pray in the face of evil? We don't learn the cause of David's prayer until verse 14. So look there. In verse 14, David announces the source of his trouble. Insolent men, ruthless men. Insolent is a very strong word. It means arrogant rudeness. Arrogant rudeness. These men are ruthless. They're willing to shed blood in order to promote their own desires for the world. These are violent opponents of God. And according to David, these arrogantly selfish men are coming after him. They're coming to claim his life so that they might rule instead of David. Now, these insolent men are trying to kill David because of his identity. Throughout Psalm 86, he identifies as God's servant. He does it three times in verse 2, in verse 4, and verse 16. But he also uses other ways to describe himself as a servant. In verse 16, he says that his own mother was God's maidservant. So he was born in God's house. From his infancy, he was God's servant. And then in verse 2, David interrupts his psalm to emphatically proclaim, You are my God. David is God's servant. And it's important to understand a servant's identity. A servant is someone who is employed by a master to represent the master and to represent the master's interests. Look in verse 11. In verse 11, David says, Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Walking in God's name, having a heart that is fit to serve him, places David at odds with those arrogantly ruthless men who want to impose their will upon the world. As God's servant, attempting to live to God's glory, David is under attack. So this is the reason for David's prayer. As God's servant, he is under attack. At the same time, in verse 11, David asks God to unite my heart to fear your name. Because of his identity as God's servant, he's asking his heart, which is shattered by sin naturally, to be knit back together so that he can faithfully walk according to the Lord's ways, so he can fully walk in truth. Now, David himself was very familiar to the consequences of a heart shattered by sin. His life was deeply impacted by it. 
2 Samuel 11 through 12 details the story of how he raped Bathsheba and killed her husband. And this act led to the death of his own child in civil war within the kingdom of Israel. And it brought him to repentance when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. Then 2 Samuel 24 also tells the story of how David's pride led to the deaths of thousands in Israel. He knew what happened to his people and to himself when his heart was shattered by sin. So in this prayer, when he's under attack, he is asking God to knit his heart together so that he can follow the Lord's ways and fully embody God's holiness as God's servant. Now, given that David himself was deeply guilty of sin and asking for a united heart, this brings us to a question in verse two. Look with me there. David writes, preserve my life for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. How can David say that he is godly when he himself is guilty of deep sin? Well, godly here doesn't mean perfect or religiously good. It means one who is faithful to God's covenant promises. Godly means one who is faithful to God's covenant promises. In Psalm 50, verse 5, that same word, godly, is translated to mean faithful. And there, God says of the faithful ones, Gather to me my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So faithful ones and godly mean the same thing. And then God also uses that word to describe his own faithfulness to his people in Psalm 145 and Jeremiah 3. So when David describes himself as godly, he's meaning that he has faith in his master who gives promises. He has faith in God's promises. And this is clarified by the rest of verses two through five when David says, save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. So when David the servant faces evil, he turns to his master because he knows that his master has forgiven him. God is a promise keeper, even though David himself is naturally a promise breaker. And we know that David is thinking this because he uses God's personal covenant's name, Yahweh. He uses Yahweh all through this psalm. Look at verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, David refers to God as Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And this is a term for a master or a king. But in verse 6, Lord is in all capital letters. And those four letters stand for God's personal covenant name, Yahweh. 
At some point between the composition of the Psalms and the time of Jesus, Jewish scribes began to use an abbreviation for God's personal name. They were afraid of using the Lord's name in vain, so they wanted to treat his name extra holy, and they use an abbreviation that is reflected in the English Bible as capital capital L-O-R-D. So when you see Lord in all caps, that is when the author is referring to God's covenant name, Yahweh. And he does it throughout Psalm 86, David. Uh, David uses it in verse 1, verse 6, verse 11, and verse 17. He's littering this psalm with God's name. David is the servant of Yahweh and calling upon Yahweh. And David's God is not an impersonal God who treats his servants as indisposable or as disposable material. Yahweh is a God who loves his servants and makes covenants promises with them. We also know that David is thinking of God as the promise-keeping master because in verse 5, he cites Exodus 34. And in Exodus 34, is when Yahweh met with Moses on Sinai after Israel had committed the ultimate act of breaking the covenant when they built an idol and worshiped it. But Yahweh did not abandon Israel then. Instead, Moses records what happened. Moses writes, Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Well, that's what David is citing in verse 5. And he cites Exodus 34 again in verse 15 when he writes, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. David is clinging to God's covenant promises. And that notion of steadfast love is so, so, so important in the Bible. Every time you see it, circle it in your Bibles because it means chesed. Chesed, God's covenant, steadfast love. That type of love, chesed love, is the faithfulness that God shows to his servants when they are faithless. It's God's faithful love. It's the type of love that God showed Abraham when God walked between the two rows of the sacrificed animals, saying, if you don't keep these promises, may I be like these dead animals. This is the master whom David serves. And this master is overflowing with love toward his servants, even when they rebel. And David is remembering his master's character and clinging to it in the face of evil because he knows that he himself did not earn God's love. So how does David pray in the face of evil? Well, David recalls his master's character. David recalls his master's character. My family back in Oklahoma City, they once had a golden retriever whose name was Max, but everybody called him Puppy because he was a big, gooberish ball of love. 
Whenever Puppy would be running around outside, all the neighbor kids would come outside and play with Puppy. The parents didn't mind that they were playing unsupervised with this dog because they knew that he was a sweet, kind dog who was literally scared of flies. They knew Puppy's character. In Psalm 86, David knows God's character. He tells of God's covenant love for him. He tells of God's covenant love for him. Therefore, David knows that, God's loves, that God loves him and will respond to him when he calls to him in prayer. In Psalm 86, David's identity as God's servant is completely tied up with his master, just like your identity is completely tied up with your master. Your identity as God's servant is shaped by the Holy Spirit working within you. It is shaped by the sacrifice of Christ for you. It is shaped by God not abandoning you and keeping his promises to you. And as you grow in your walk with the Lord, you yourself are going to become more sensitive to the evil of the world. You're going to become more sensitive. You might receive it more. You might experience more. So when you encounter evil in your life, whether it's you seeing evil out in the world or you personally experiencing evil, remember your master's character in prayer. Remember your master's character in prayer. And this is, this is hard to do. When you open up your news app and you see yet another death of an innocent person, yet another mass shooting, it is easy to despair. It's, it's, you're driven to ask, where are you, God? Where are you, Master? When you lose sight of God's character in the midst of the darkness, open up the Psalms. These psalms are here for you. These prayers are for you as God's covenant people. Open up a psalm and pray that psalm. And then when a psalm uses God's covenant name, stop and meditate on God. Stop and meditate on God's covenant name, that he is gracious to you, that he is merciful to you, that he is slow to anger to you, that he's full of steadfast love to you. Pray over that. Pray over God's character. And then praise God for his attributes when you are faced with evil. That's what David does. And the Psalms are full of God's attributes. If your faith is weak, ask God to strengthen your faith in who he is, the promise-keeping God. Ask God to strengthen your faith in who he is. If your emotions are dull and non-responsive to who God says he is, ask God to revive your faith in him. Ask God to revive your emotions, to give you a lively, joyful, trusting prayer life. Ask God to become big in your sight so that you find courage to face the wickedness that is everywhere. And finally, remember your, past, your master's character by crying out to him with confidence. 
cry out to God with confidence. He is listening. He is there. He's not far away. He is with you. His Holy Spirit indwells you. He is listening to you. And he will answer you. But we've all been there where it seems like he's not, when it seems like God is silent, when God seems like he doesn't care. What then? What do you do then? Well, let's keep reading the psalm and ask, how does David respond to evil through prayer? Now, remember that David's prayer is prompted by the attacks of insolent and ruthless men who hate him and hate God as the king. Look at verses 8 through 10. David writes, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You, are, you alone are God. It's remarkable here that in the middle of facing evil, David consciously brings to God's vision the end of history. David is looking ahead at the end of history here. He knows that God will win, no matter what happens now in the present. Eventually, even though evil runs rampant today, tomorrow every single nation will be worshiping before God's throne. No matter what, God wins. And when David says glorify, it means that all the nations will bow before God's name, that they will hallow God's name. Just like David, just like Jesus taught you to pray in the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The world will one day treat God's name as holy. There will be no ruthless and arrogant man left to oppose God's reign. Here in this psalm, in Psalm 86, we see a foretaste of the vision of the great heavenly multitude in Revelation 7, 9 through 17. And it's really interesting to read Revelation 7 in light of Psalm 86. I encourage you to do that sometime. Not only does David know the end of history, that all nations will be worshiping God, but David knows that he himself will be in that crowd that is worshiping God. Look at verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, David says that he will also glorify God's name forever. He will also hallow God's name through all eternity. If he will do that, then we know that he's going to be in that crowd. And how does David know this? Well, verse 13 provides our answer. David will be worshiping nations in the worshiping nations because of your God's steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Sheol refers to the dark domain of death. And here, David refers to God's chesed, covenant love, once more. Because God is merciful and his covenant love has surrounded David, David knows that he's going to be in, in that crowd at the end of history, worshiping the Lord. He knows that he will be there 
God has the final victory and his people share in that victory. Now, David has faith in God's future victory over evil, but that doesn't stop him from asking God to act in the present. Even though he knows what's going to happen at the end, he asks God to act now. Look at verses 16 through 17. David writes, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. The sign here mentioned is not a mere symbol or a sign in the sky. That sign is an act in history. God wants, uh, David wants God to do something now. And that's what verses one through seven are saying. God acts now. And David is confident to ask for rescue from God, even if it does not immediately come. And this confidence stems from David's knowledge of God's plan, as found in verses 9 through 13. David knows that if he, would, that if he doesn't get the sign that he asks for, God will still win. God will still win even if David himself dies because David knew that the Lord is the king. So how did David pray when faced with evil? Well, not only did he recall his master's character, but he also recalled his master's plan. David recalled his master's plan. Now, when I was a little kid, my mom would took would take me to science classes at the Oklahoma Science Museum, or as you 90s kids know it, the Omniplex. And I was a timid kid. I was scared of it. It was dark back then. There were skeletons and weird mannequins. I had to spend three hours with people I didn't know. I did not want to go to this class, but my mom would always say, you'll be okay. I will be there waiting for you when your class is over. And sure enough, she was always there waiting for me. And I knew that no matter what happened, no matter how scared I was, my mom would be there to pick me up. In Psalm 86, David prays in the face of evil by recalling the end. David knows the end. He knows that God will triumph at the end. And so then, with that confidence, David prays for God to act now. Brothers and sisters, God has already acted. God has already acted. David himself didn't know how God would act. He knew the plan, but he didn't know the means by which God would accomplish his plan. You know now that plan. God acted at the cross. God sent his perfect servant, Jesus Christ, the son of his maidservant, Mary, to rescue you. Jesus has already acted for you. And therefore, you've been adopted into God's family. And as Romans 8.17 says, you are co-heirs with Christ. You will inherit the world. We're all going to die at some point. 
It might be when we're one or 100. But you know, because of what Christ has done, that you are guaranteed that joyful celebration at the end. No matter what happens now, you can be confident that God loves you and that he has triumphed over evil on your behalf. When you see evil in this world every day and pray and pray and pray and nothing happens, it can feel like God is not acting, that he has not acted, that he will not act. But the cross and Christ's resurrection tells a different story, that he has acted. As Paul declared in 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 21, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. God loves you, his servants, more than you can possibly imagine. So remember your master's plan in your prayer. Remember your master's plan in your prayer. Remember your master's plan by praising God, as David did, for how he has acted to save you in Jesus Christ. Think about how you once were before you met Jesus. Think about that one particular sin that still makes you cringe when you think about it, and praise God for saving you from that. Praise God in your prayers that he's invited you to join in the celebratory feast at the end of all time, that you will be there. And then remember your master's plan by asking for Jesus to return soon. Ask Jesus to come back. Because when you open your news and you read about the war in Ukraine, the war in Sudan, polarization here, shootings, deaths, racism. The only way that that will be fixed is when Christ comes back and conquers his and your enemies. Pray for Christ to come back. And when you do that, when you pray to your faithful master asking Christ to return, you are putting your faith in God's ultimate answers to your prayer the resurrected Christ coming back with the sound of trumpets to defeat death. Billy Joel saying, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. You know, only the good die young. Billy Joel doesn't understand God's plan. He doesn't understand God's character. He can't fathom a God who's full of abounding love for his servants. Church, your tears will be dried because you have Jesus. Please pray with me.